Google will only do so much and you can get some basic information, but yeah, you do, it, it is so personalized and you have to, you really have to work with someone who knows how to work with them because there are so many different factors that contribute to symptoms. And like you said, movement, um, your, your gastrointestinal symptoms, but also what is that triggering elsewhere in your body? You know, I, I call the gut the gateway to the rest of the body. So if there's something wrong with your gut, it will eventually manifest in some other problem systemically. Welcome back to Fit as a Fiddle. I'm your host, Dr. Sneha Ghazi. I am a physical therapist and owner of Sneha Physical Therapy located in New York City. I'm also the founder and executive director of Physical Therapy International Service Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit that brings free PT resources, treatment, and education to underserved communities all over the world. I am obsessed with the fact that if you feel better inside and out, you live a better life. Each episode on Fit as a Fiddle brings you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness space who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. This podcast is for a community of people who want to keep their mind, body, and spirit healthy and thriving. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe, review, and enjoy today's show. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. We are very, very excited to have Lauren Minchin join us today. She is a registered nutrition, registered dietitian, nutritionist, <laughs> and founder of Lauren Minchin Nutrition. Did I say all that right? <laughs> you said it right. You got it right. Perfect. Good to be here. Thanks for I having know. me. So great to have you. Um, yeah. First, I'd just like you to go ahead, introduce yourself. Um, I, I love hearing about your story on your bio uh, mm-hmm. online, so I'd love for listeners to hear a little bit about that because I think it's amazing when you come from all of your work uh, and what you do every single day comes from a place of experience and um, inner knowledge from, from mm-hmm. there. So. Right, right. Personal experience is such a huge part. Yeah. So as you said, uh, Lauren Minchin, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, um, founder of Lauren Minchin Nutrition. I've been in practice for about eight years now. I have a practice in uh, New York City. Um, And I specialize in primarily gut issues, gut health, IBS, IBD, um, celiac disease, um, and everything in between. Um, and autoimmune disease. Um, and that's largely because of my own personal history with it, as you, as you alluded to. Um, I have a history of eating disorders my entire middle school, high school, early college. Um, but then around late high school, early college, I started to experience some, some muscle weakness and um, imbalanced muscle function on each side of my body with my left side feeling the weakest. Um, and that ended up being diagnosed as MS. Um, which, you know, if you dive into nutrition, a lot of it now is that's very gut based, um, when there's autoimmune function. So I was actually in school for nutrition at the time because originally my eating disorder really fueled my desire to go into nutrition and and learn how to treat my body well and eat well. Um, and so it just so happened I was in school for nutrition at the time when all of this was happening. And, um, and so it really was such an interesting time for all of that to be happening at once because between my schooling and seeing my doctors working with specialists really valuing nutrition at the time especially because I was going into the field I feel like I was able to learn so much about gut health and autoimmune function and the connection between the two and it 
really just um, stirred that interest and passion for it. And that's why I specialize in it today. Amazing. And you have a practice yeah. in New York City. That's and right. Mm-hmm. Doing um, virtual and in-home, uh, in-office consults now. Thankfully, exactly. we, were, we were just talking about how it's great to be out and about again. So that's amazing. Um, know, right? So a few people sometimes have a um, question about the difference between a registered dietitian versus a nutritionist, because some people are only a nutritionist. Um, what What's the difference and what does that registered dietitian add to your toolbox? I think that sometimes yeah. is a question for a lot of people, so I'd love to hear. Super common question. Yeah, I, I get that a lot in like an initial visit with somebody. So um, as a dietitian, we have to go through uh, what they call an accredited uh, schooling program. Um, and it's either a bachelor's or a master's, usually it can be either. But it, you have to take certain courses complete a, an accredited dietetic internship, and then take an exam to actually get the dietitian credential. Um, and so that title or credential is kind of controlled by making sure you meet all of these requirements, where with the nutritionist, anybody can actually call themselves one. The term isn't controlled. So, you know, someone can take one course and then start a a practice or a coaching practice as a nutritionist. So um, I like to use both terms. I feel like nutritionist is more relatable. More people know what I'm talking about when I say I'm a nutritionist. If I say I'm a dietitian, it tends to be a big question mark. Um, So which, you know, could be not great marketing by by my accrediting body, but um, in terms of understanding that term. So I use both just because it makes it easier for people to understand what I do. Amazing. So I want to focus a little bit about gut health because it's, you know, it's so important to understand how everything going into our body affects all of our systems, but the gut itself is like, it has its own nervous system, right? It's almost like its own entity and it acts Mm -hmm. like this, um, you know, kind of a catalyst depending on what we're putting in our body. What What are we eating? Um, of right. course, also how much sunshine are we getting? How much water are we drinking? How much, like what's our environment? What is our stress level? So many of things affect our state of being, but mm-hmm. something that's very controllable that you're putting into your body through your nutrition, through your eating habits, mm-hmm. through your hydration. So, mm-hmm. so important. And something within gut health that people like that are kind of like common terms that people hear are things like IBD and IBS. And there's yes. a lot of confusion between these terms as well. Mm-hmm. And they're very different, um, and the and the way that you where the way that you would treat them is also very different, right? The way you would right. address those right. things, those two different things. So, go, could you just dive right into that and kind of go yeah. into IBD, IBS? What are the differences? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, I know the terms are often used interchangeably, but they're actually quite different. They're two very different things. So IBS is a collection of, of symptoms, digestive symptoms, usually constipation, bloating, pain, gas, diarrhea, acid refluxes in that group. Um, and a lot of times it's used as a catch-all diagnosis because somebody can have a collection of symptoms but not have any other diagnosable condition. So IBS diagnoses any any kind of combination of those symptoms that you may have. Um, And IBD, in contrast, is actually an autoimmune disease, um, and it encompasses Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and colitis in general. Um, And those are much more severe conditions and much more specific. Um, uh, Colitis is 
inflammation of the colon, um, and general colitis is usually caused by some kind of infection, bacterial infection. Um, ulcerative colitis is more severe in that it's lifelong and sometimes can require surgery. Um, and the hallmarks of that, you can have bleeding and pain and diarrhea and a lot of just discomfort. Um, same with colitis. Crohn's, there's also a lot of pain diarrhea, um, discomfort, and anemia and fatigue is another one. So those are the biggest difference between IBD and IBS um, and very different treatments for each. Um, so IBS, depending on which collection of symptoms you're working with, so if you have somebody, typically the way they collect is constipation, bloating, and gas often come together. Diarrhea and pain often go together, and then acid reflux can kind of happen with both, depending on the person. Um, so with the constipation side of things, um, you really want to focus from a nutritional standpoint on making sure somebody's water intake is in, in good shape. A lot of people don't know how dehydrated they are because they may not feel it, um, or sometimes our bodies feel hungry as a result of being dehydrated, um, when really what we need is water. And so that hunger mechanism um, and feeling can be slightly off. So de dehydration is a big one, especially with constipation. Um, looking at the kind of fiber and how much they're eating, um, there's two types of fiber, soluble and insoluble. And between all the plant foods, so whole grains, beans, lentils, fruits, veggies, nuts, and seeds, you get an array of those two different fibers in different amounts. So with constipation, you really want to get a nice blend of all of those together and make sure that you're eating enough. Um, and pairing that with water is essential because if you have a lot of fiber, but you're dehydrated, you can actually, constipation can be worse. Um, the other component are food intolerances and allergies. Um, a lot of those, a lot of times those can contribute to digestive symptoms. And a lot of people actually don't know this. They think, oh, I will have like a rash or I won't be able to breathe or something else because they think of like an anaphylactic type of reaction with an allergy. But intolerances can manifest in so many different ways. And usually it starts in the gut. So that's a big one that we look for. And with allergies, those are easier to identify with a blood test or a skin prick test. Intolerances are more challenging. So I find a food log really, really helpful for identifying what is triggering their symptoms. It's really key. So there's that component. And then there's magnesium is such a big one with constipation. Um, if I'm going to focus on, you know, kind of hone in on certain nutrients um, when it comes to constipation, gas and bloating, magnesium is a huge one. So it helps to relax the gut and helps things move through and calm, calm down. If you think of the gut as, or if you think of yourself as being really tensed up, if it's really cold or you're nervous or anxious, you know, your muscles don't function as well um, when you're tense. If you relax, you know, your, your, the, your muscles can communicate with each other a lot easier um, and you can move a lot easier. And the same goes with your gut. If it's really, really tense, um, you're not going to be able to move food through very easily. Um, and so then that can lead to gas and constipation and bloating. Magnesium just helps everything kind of relax and move through well. So that's a big one I touch on. The other reason for that is because magnesium, um, a lot of people are deficient or have insufficient levels of magnesium, largely because our food supply just doesn't contain as much and provide as much as it used to. So it's a big you know, highlight I typically focus on. Um, so for constipation, gas bloating, those are kind of the, the highlights. For diarrhea, it's a totally different, or loose stool, it doesn't have to be, there's a whole spectrum there. But it, um, and for pain, 
it's a totally different approach because fiber can actually make diarrhea worse. So I have a lot of patients that come in and say, oh, I should be, you know, eating more of these whole grains and beans and lentils and all these things. And they're still having diarrhea or loose stool. And I have to tell them that's actually why. I know it's counterintuitive, but fiber can actually make it worse. If you do have fiber, it should be the soluble kind. Um, and the difference between the insoluble and soluble. Insoluble, I, I describe it more as like the structural type of fiber. So it's kind of crunchy. And like, if you think of romaine lettuce, that's more, you know, it's like that tough structure. That's more of insoluble fiber. And your gut doesn't actually absorb it. It just moves through, provides that bulk. Soluble fiber is a kind of fiber that actually turns into a gel when you eat it and it absorbs water. Um, and so if you're struggling with loose stool or diarrhea and you're losing a lot of fluid, soluble fiber can actually be very helpful to calm your gut and uh, reduce those symptoms. But you still have to be careful with how much you're having um, and make sure you minimize the bulk in your gut. So that's, you know, in terms of fiber, that's a big, um, that's a big component there. Hydration is really important with diarrhea and loose stool. It's really easy to become dehydrated and then you get very tired and there's all kinds of um, things that happen as a result. So staying hydrated is important. Um, again, food intolerances and allergies, those are a big one. Um, sometimes it can be more of an allergy with diarrhea because it can be an instant thing. As soon as you eat something, you experience that urgency and you have to run off to the bathroom. That can be more of an allergic reaction, um, but it also can be a food intolerance. So that's probably the biggest challenge actually in working with IBS is because there's not a lot of great testing right now to determine food intolerances. Um, and there's a lot of noise around what's the best procedure? How, you know, how do you identify everything? I have patients that come in that, you know, have this result for their food intolerance test and they cut out all the foods that show up on the test and they still feel awful. And so clearly the test just didn't pick something up and that's really, really common. So um, it's really, again, using that food log to work through everything and identify any possible trigger. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And then supplementation for diarrhea is huge just because your absorption rate goes down. If you're, there's that urgency and you're just eliminating everything every time you eat or, or, you know, even once a day, a couple times a day, you're probably not absorbing calories, vitamins, minerals at the rate that you need to. So, um, supplementing with, a high quality multivitamin and omega-3, um, B vitamins, iron, those are all really key to make sure that you're getting those essential nutrients because again, that absorption rate is much less. So that's on the IBS front. Um, with IBD, it can require a little more um, like specific um, intentional supplementation and treatment just because the severity is so different. And it's an autoimmune condition, which means your body is really working against itself. So it often means we're coming at it from the perspective of how do we restore the integrity of your gut lining? Um, because that goes back to leaky gut, which can fuel autoimmune conditions. Leaky gut is when, to describe it simply, the junctions that make up your gut lining open too wide. You absorb really large molecules of food or whatever else you're consuming. That you know, trickle down effect of that is it triggers this autoimmune response uh, systemically and your body actually works against itself. So it really is about restoring that gut function, which then helps to reset your immune system as well and calm down the autoimmune function. So 
when we look at Crohn's or colitis, we're dealing with pain, we're dealing with diarrhea, malnutrition, anemia, a lot of times bleeding. Colitis is primarily in the colon, so we have to look at rectal bleeding, bleeding with stool, all of that, you know, really uncomfortable and, um, you know, very sad conditions for, for a lot of people, and it can contribute to a lot of depression and anxiety, especially in social situations. So there's also a lot of, um, a lot of emotional support that comes along with working with someone with colitis and uh, Crohn's because it's just such a huge part of their lives. It's really debilitating a lot of times. So again, supplementation is key because the food that they're absorbing, they're just not absorbing as much of it and not digesting it well. So making sure we're supplementing with all of the fat soluble vitamins, which that term means that you need to be eating fat with those vitamins to absorb them. And those are A, D, E, and K. That's key. And if you have a high quality multivitamin, you'll get those in the mix. Um, B complex. So all nine B vitamins, making sure you're consuming enough of those supplementing with that iron calcium. Um, because again, if you're, if your patient is on a steroid medication, um, for IBD, that can actually cause a lot of damage to the bones over time and weaken bones. So making sure you get in enough calcium and vitamin D is essential. And vitamin K2, they're finding is also really key for supporting your bone health. It helps to, you know, for the lack of a better description to keep it simple, it helps to kind of direct the calcium where it needs to go. It works with D, vitamin D to do that so that it's not just kind of sitting um, in your system. So it's essential to have all that together. Um, and then I think I mentioned iron and potassium and magnesium as well. So it's a lot of supplementation that can go into, especially when you're, when you're in the phase of trying to figure out what they can tolerate and what they can't, you're in the immediate, the immediate need is to make sure they're getting the nutrients they need. And then over time you figure out, okay, from a diet perspective, what foods work for them and what don't. And so the, the, I think the biggest takeaways nutritionally is reducing fiber making sure the foods they're eating are really gentle and soft. A lot of times it involves cooked foods, um, reducing hard, crunchy things like nuts and seeds, no lettuce, things that can just be really irritating. Um, making sure they're eating enough protein, again, because they're not absorbing as much. So that needs to be, that needs to be as, as much as they can, you know, as they can stomach. Because again, it, protein can vary in terms of tolerance. So figuring out which protein foods work for them. Um, and just making sure they're getting an adequate amount. Um, and then looking at it from an inflammatory standpoint, because again, inflammation drives a lot of the gut damage and then the autoimmune function. So for some IBD patients, I have found turmeric and curcumin to be really, really helpful. Others, it doesn't work for them. It's a spice. So some people feel really good with it and other people don't. So we usually try it. The um, turmeric is known actually to increase the number and variety of probiotics in the gut. And it actually helps to come in and repair the gut lining. So for someone specifically with IBD, it can be very helpful. Um, so that paired with a probiotic supplement and omega-3, those are kind of my three favorite anti-inflammatory supplements for somebody. Um, and then sometimes I'll throw in chlorophyll, which a lot of people aren't as familiar with, but chlorophyll is the green compound in vegetables. And it's specifically anti-inflammatory and very healing to tissue. So either in capsule form or liquid form, um, I have them take that and that can be very, very helpful for reducing pain and discomfort and bleeding actually. So those are my favorite anti-inflammatory 
supplements from that perspective. And then finding, again, finding the foods, particularly fruits and vegetables um, from an antioxidant perspective that they can tolerate. So ones that are softer, lightly cooked or steamed, um, not tough to digest, no skin, that kind of thing, really working with them to find ways to get those antioxidants in from whole foods in a way that does not trigger their symptoms. So, and you're often working with a doctor because there's medications, there's the possibility of surgery, especially with ulcerative colitis, um, which often means either resection of the colon or actually getting support for function. So a colostomy or ileostomy, um, which is a whole game changer. So, um, so there can be a lot of changes and adjustments depending on medications and what their status is. And then if they have a flare up, which is very common with autoimmune disease. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 at the end of the day, there are some standards, but then it also is very personal depending on what the person can tolerate, um, and what they feel good eating and what they don't. I don't even know if I have any questions. That was like straight out of a textbook. I was like, how is Lauren just spitting all this knowledge? Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, uh, well, yeah, it's, I guess it comes from working with it. You know, it just, you start yeah. to, people have questions, they ask yeah. you and, you know, you gotta. You gotta day in it. and day out. You have to answer the same exactly. questions that, you know, you just kind of answered right now. Right. Amazing. And, you know, so I work with a lot of people who have IBS and IBD, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not even for that. It's just I, uh, they have, you know, a hip flexor strain or something. And then right. they also happen to have an autoimmune disease or something like that will come up yeah. in their history. And mm -hmm. there are people who have colostomy bags and, you know, just different things and interventions, the medications that yeah. they're taking. And I think what I wanted to convey to the audience is all this sounds scary. You know, the body attacking yourself, autoimmune mm -hmm. disease, but people can still live a very full and fulfilling yeah. life. It's just about management, um, like learning about these things, being knowledgeable about the gut lining, gut health in general, about the general medical management. Usually people have multiple providers who are helping them with different parts of the plan of care with the right. autoimmune components. But even if you don't have the autoimmune disease and it's just that big jumbo symptom, it's like I, I compare um, IBS to low back pain because it's like, okay, so what, like from like where, how, right. when, with what active, like, it's just, it's just a symptom. That's just an over umbrella term for like a ton of things. So that's yeah. like IBS, right? It could be um, anything with acid reflux. It could be a constipation issue. It could be, some people think that they're constipated when they may just have like harder stool, but they are consistently going. Um, and they're like, I'm extremely constipated, but then you have to really look at it and see, are they straining on the toilet? What's the consistency of their stool? How frequently are they going? So understanding what is quote unquote, no one can see my air quotes right now, but normal. <laughs> yeah, it's such yeah. a, it's such a blanket number and like blanket sort of terms and stuff, but it's so individualized, right? Yeah, and that's why so you need individualized plan of care. You might need a couple of different practitioner or one or two um, to really guide you through that process. And so mm -hmm. like I refer a lot of people to nutritionists because people come to me with urinary issues, incontinence or incomplete bladder issue, bladder emptying or constipation or just, you know, abdominal pain. And a lot of it is like you'd mentioned, Lauren, like movement, like we need to move. Mm -hmm. um, we need to make sure that our tissues that, that our intestines are actually pushing things from one place to another. And right. there are so many organs in that area and so many muscles in that area. And mm -hmm. when you're sitting in a chair all day long and you're dehydrated 
and you're probably maybe eating chips or popcorn <laughs> and mm-hmm. everything, every, it's not going to work. Your system is like try, trying to really get out of, your system is really trying to like move. It wants to yeah. move. And so your gut wants to move. It doesn't want to sit in one place. It's uncomfortable for you. And it's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Right. So getting right. like, even just listening to to like, the whole thing that you just said right now, there's so much information that people can take away right now about thinking about their vitamins. What are they yeah. supplementing their nutrition with? What are they eating? And just becoming aware of some of these things is like so true. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so the awareness is huge. Yeah, because yeah, you. I mean, Google will only do so much and you can get some basic information, but yeah, you do. It, it is so personalized and you have to, you really have to work with someone who knows how to work with them because there are so many different factors that contribute to symptoms. And like you said, movement, um, your, your gastrointestinal symptoms, but also what is that triggering elsewhere in your body? You know, I, I call the gut the gateway to the rest of the body. So if there's something wrong with your gut, it will eventually manifest in some other problem systemically. So looking at, you know, which means maybe you need a different specialist to then see about this other condition that you're experiencing, you know, a variety of autoimmune conditions or whatever else. So yeah, it really, you know, you have to get your team together and make sure that you feel confident in the team that you're working with. Um, And it can make all the difference because you're right, it can sound really scary but at the end of the day, there's a lot that can be done from a lifestyle and nutrition standpoint. And my goal is always to help somebody feel really empowered when we're talking through it, because they don't have to be a victim of their symptoms for the rest of their life. They, you know, a lot of people, they may have more, they may have um, some more uh, mild symptoms over time, but in terms of the severity, there's so much that you can do to reduce the severity and make someone's life you know, so much easier to live day to day where they feel like they have energy. They don't have to worry about going out in social environments. You know, they have confidence in what they're eating and how they're going to feel. Um, and that's a huge part of it because anxiety and depression is such a big part of, of these conditions. So really helping people feel like they have the tools is so important. Yeah. And psych is a huge yeah. part of this. Mental health is huge because yeah. all of the stuff related to your gut, pain and general discomfort, all of that, yeah really can diminish the quality of your life and inhibit you from doing a lot of the things that you want to do. So like you yeah. just said, get that team together and, yeah. you know, and sometimes it takes people that, Oh my God, I'm not another day. I can't do this anymore to get it. And if you're at right. that place, know that there are tons of people who could help you and who are very Absolutely. knowledgeable in a variety of different cases. Um, not, not, one IBS patient gets the exact same treatment as another, just like not one low back pain patient gets exactly the same exercises or activity modifications as another one. Right. So um, it takes a team to look at you as a full being, all the things that are going on in your life. Like I mentioned, stress is a huge reason that the gut system slows down and you know, Mm -hmm. you, you experience lots of different symptoms because they're, it's very hormonal. The hormones affect your body so drastically. So it's crazy. Yeah, it really, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Cause I mean, so many of our hormones are, are, are made in our gut and secreted by our gut. A lot of people think that's primarily, you know, perhaps fertility rate related or somewhere else in the body, but actually our gut is really where most of that happens. And so if something is off kilter, it's going to then affect your hormones, which then affect so many other conditions. I have a lot of women that come in also with PCOS on top of IBS or something else. 
And it's, you know, they think they're not related, but at the end of the day, they can be so related um, and working, like I was mentioning with those other conditions, you know, that, that hormones affect everything. And so the hormones your gut is secreting affect the health of the rest of your body. And so at the end of the day, everything goes together a lot more than people think it does in terms of how your body functions. So exactly. And great segue. So I want to talk yeah. about PCOS. Mm-hmm. Um, Briefly, I would love to hear, some people just hear the term and they have no idea what that means. Some people know all about it because they're living with it. Um, But generally speaking, could you give us an overview of what that is from a hormonal perspective, especially, and then nutritionally, how, what does the management look like for that? Right. Yeah. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and historically it's meant that somebody has cysts on their ovaries. Um, but now it also can be just a syndrome with the symptoms that come along with the cysts on ovaries, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have those cysts. I have a lot of women who come in, they had the ultrasound done. There's no cyst on their ovaries, but they're having all the symptoms, which often can mean, um, thick body hair on face and body, more acne, um, weight gain around their midsection, um, glucose intolerance, those are kind of the four top. And what's driving those primarily is an, a hormone imbalance, uh, specifically more elevated androgen hormones, testosterone being one of them. Um, and typically, again, that comes from the cyst, but sometimes there can be other issues where that drive those hormones um, higher than they should be, and that contributes to all those symptoms. In addition to the more obvious one being that they're not getting their period regularly, sometimes they don't get it at all. Other times it comes at different times, they can go a long time, skip one, then get it, or whatever. There's a you know whole spectrum. Um, But typically, um, what I've found from a nutritional standpoint is they often are experiencing bloating, gas, and constipation as well. So again, those those symptoms kind of going together. Um, And so what it comes down to is looking at, again, their food intolerances and allergies. Those can change how your hormones work. If your gut is not functioning, you know, ideally um, and optimally, then that's going to change the rest of your hormones um, and the rest of your body. So Food intolerances are important to identify. And then looking actually at their carbohydrate intake, um, because when they have glucose intolerance, what can happen is when they have a, any kind of carb, and this depends on the person because the severity can, um, can vary, but um, when they eat carbohydrates, their blood sugar spikes higher than it should. It doesn't come down as easily. So their body is pumping out more and more insulin for those numbers to come down. And insulin is primarily a fat storage hormone. So somebody can, you know, the short of it is somebody has an easier time gaining weight from a single meal than the next person. You know, and most of the time that means storing uh, body fat primarily around the midsection. So that's a hallmark of glucose intolerance, which is then driven by a hormone imbalance, which goes back to the ovaries, which then can go back to the gut, you know, kind of taking it all back to the same place again. So we look at their carbohydrate intake because, and they don't have to be low carb forever. I often remind them like the intermediate is to reduce carbohydrate intake um, because it helps to reduce your insulin, promotes healthy weight loss, which then the feedback from that is it's easier for your body to manage your hormones and balance them out. Um, when you don't have excess weight, particularly around the midsection, which is harder on your heart and your organs. Um, if you're, if you're losing that, it's easier for your body to manage itself. So we typically start with a lower carb diet. Um, 
look at their food intolerances, making sure they're eliminating those and eating adequate protein and healthy fats are, are a huge part of that um, with a healthy gut and PCOS because fats primarily drive the kind of cholesterol levels that we have and also how our hormones are manufactured. So they really play a role in hormonal balance. And so looking at inf uh, anti-inflammatory fats from omega-3s, primarily mono and saturated fats. There's a different types of unsaturated and the mono is basically extra virgin olive oil, avocado, and certain nuts and seeds. That has a really powerful anti-inflammatory uh, effect. So looking at really emphasizing certain types of fat and then also lean protein and more vegetables and fruits primarily for their carbohydrates and their fiber. Um, so that's the approach I take with PCOS. Um, from a supplement perspective, it's not quite as vital because usually someone with PCOS goes back to more IBS symptoms, um, which means for me, I'm looking at what they're eating, fiber, food intolerances. And once those are corrected, they're absorbing and processing food a lot more healthfully. So, you know, I do like to have them on a multivitamin and omega-3 for their gut, a probiotic, again, making sure everything at the starting point, that gateway is functioning well. Um, but then it really is about the food and the carbohydrate uh, count at first. And then I found actually once, if they're, if they're coming in being overweight, once women lose about 10% of their body weight, a lot of times those hormones have a much easier time regulating. So then we can say, okay, so do, you know, how much longer do we need to be on the low carb diet? When can we start to increase again? And then making sure those carbohydrates are from whole food sources. So it's a bit of a process. And again, personalized depending on the person, because there can be a whole collection of symptoms depending on, you know, what they're going through. So I think that's really, you know, really important to keep that in mind. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people may not even know that they have, you know, PCOS. They might just be experiencing some symptoms for a while. They might find out later in life. So it, it's important to have these conversations when you go in for those annual checkups, um, talking to your doctor about all the things so you can get a proper diagnosis. So then you can get a proper referral and see somebody like Lauren to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that whole process is so important to make sure you're seeing the right people, getting referrals for the specialists that you need, because when you can do that, you can then get the tools that you need to manage it and feel more confident in your day-to-day -day routine, you know, and feel like there's something and know that there's something that you can do about it. Exactly. And I feel like, like you said, half the battle is just feeling empowered, not being a victim of what's right. happening to you. It might seem like that when you hear things like PCOS and autoimmune diseases and like, you know, all these things. And that's not the case. You do have a lot that you can do. Um, mm -hmm. And it takes you changing your lifestyle, changing some of the habits that you've been building um, and doing something different. Because if you've done something for a long time and it hasn't worked, then you really need that support to give you guidance in order to change things. And change often is that thing that's going to help you get through. And it seems scary so at first, but if you are able to, you should. If you have the, if you have the privilege to be able to make those changes, you have, to, you have to put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. And that's a big thing that I remind my patients of too, is just taking it one day at a time. Because if they think about, looking forward to so much unknown as far as managing their symptoms or the different things that may come down the road, it can feel really overwhelming. But if they take the changes one day at a time, it feels really, really doable. And before you know it, you're further down the road and you've made so much progress and it was just taking it one day at a time.
Thank you so much. I want you to give us a rapid fire one sentence for three of your top tips for, I mean, forget about the specific diagnosis that we've spoken today, but in general for people who, like if your best friend were to come to you, which by the way, I'm sure that you also agree with this, but like you never give advice to your best friends because nobody (laughs) listens to you. Um, They'll ask you for your help, but they'll never take it. (laughs) So true. That's true. Um, Yeah. Some of them do, but most of them don't. Um, Give us a rapid fire of one sentence, one tip for each of those sentences on on general nutrition and health that you would give. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully I get this right. Um, three tips. Look at how much water you're drinking, two liters a day at least. Leafy greens every day. Regardless of diagnosis, I find those so helpful. And there's a variety of different ones depending on what you can tolerate. So leafy greens, two to three cups every day. And then looking at your protein intake and you can be plant-based, you can eat animal protein, doesn't matter. Either way, look at how much you're eating and make sure you're getting in. My recommendation is 25 to 30 grams a meal. It makes a huge difference in your immune system, your energy levels, skin, hair, general health, everything. So top three, those are the ones I would recommend. Amazing. Well, we are so lucky to have had you here today, Lauren, and everybody who just listened basically got free nutrition consultation. (laughs) Please, please, please reach out to Lauren if you have any questions. Can you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. Yes. You can visit my website, laurenminchin.com. You can find me there or you can find me on social media. I'm primarily on Instagram. My handle is happy gut nutritionist. Amazing. And you do telehealth, so everyone can take advantage of that and be able to reach out to you for a virtual consultation if you're not in the New York City area. Um, Thank you so much. This has been so educational. Even for me, I learned a lot of really cool things I didn't know about the um, vitamin KD. I had no idea. So I'm going to look that up now. Um, But there's so much. Vitamin K, yeah. There's so many things that people can um, get out of this. So I hope everybody goes back and listens and take, takes notes and reach out to Lauren if you have questions of any. Thank point. you so much for having me. It was great to be here. So I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Have a yeah. wonderful day. You too. Thanks. A big thank you to everyone who listened to today's episode. Thank you for investing in yourself and your well-being. The goal here is to educate and be educated. If you learned something new today, please subscribe rate and review. It means the world. I will see you again next week with an exciting new guest and topic to share with all of you.